Hello, everybody. Welcome to another conversation with John and I. And we are joined again by somebody that I really like seeing in film and television, and that is Mr. Scott Valentine. Scott, welcome back to the Three Geeks Podcast. Jason, thank you kindly. John, good to see you. Good to see you, Scott. Quick question. Good with you? Pardon me? Is everything good with you? Everything is a rather auspicious question, lad. You know, uh, I, I'd say there are more checks in the positive column than the negative column. There you go. That worked. I just found out my sister and her husband have COVID and my nephew. So, you know, I feel that sucks. Fine. Are they doing yeah. okay? They seem to have, I guess, if, if I'd be, uh, I don't mean to be to have hubris, uh, but COVID light, you know? Okay. Um, whereas if I, I have had five friends die so you know crazy times we're living in guys crazy yeah yeah well, so last time we had you on the show as soon as we got off the, the chat with you we both realized that we did not ask you about what it was like working with justine bateman and it's ironic because you guys spent a lot of time working together on the show <laughs> justine um it was very, it was, it was, it was rather intriguing because think about it. You're a guy coming from New York, right? Uh, you used to do in theater. You used to like literally digging in garbage to find things to make art out of. Uh, Cause I think I told you I had two friends that, that made art out of garbage, literally. Uh, and mm-hmm. sold it for a lot of, a lot of dineros. Um, and then to go to Hollywood and have, she was essentially a kid at the time. She was what, 17, 18 years old? Yeah. And a millionaire, driving a brand new Porsche, living in a killer house. So it was a trip. I, I really felt like uh, fish out of water, which was good because the character was fish out of water. You know, it was, it, it was a little bit different. And it was so funny because so many guys would say, man, she's hot. She's so hot. I would just love to blah, 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 blah. And as much as we were to play two kids in love, I had a, I had a hard and fast rule, which I have always stuck by. Don't ever date anybody you work with. Never, never, never. You know, I, I made the mistake once in college when I was doing a play. And I thought, well, I'll never do that again. Not going to have that. So it was very professional. She's very intelligent, has a tremendous sense of humor, um, and a very gracious individual. And she she's done a lot of other stuff, uh, you know, over the last, like, 10 or 20 years that was not acted at all. Like, she had a clothing line for a while, didn't she? And she had, she had a couple other businesses, too, which is kind of – Kind of, she had a I don't clothing line. She went to school at UCLA and got a degree. I mean, getting in UCLA is not a casual yeah. event. I don't think they said, "Hey, you're on a TV show. Come on," you know. They yeah. don't give a damn. UCLA is a tough school to get into. Um, I can't remember what she got her degree in, but then because of the degree, she launched a, somewhat of a, a of a fight for sort of like the little guy, and I believe it had something to do with online rights. Mm-hmm. Um, and proprietary rights. So she she does have a, a benevolent heart. Um, I'm not sure what she's doing now, but she's she's been very successful uh, from what I have read outside of the entertainment industry. Yeah, and, and, and that's that's awesome because you know there's there's always those stories about the 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 young actor or actress or the the teen or child actor or actress who goes 
bonkers, you know, so it's great to see that she had a good head on her shoulders and she has been successful no matter what avenue she is. Uh, she's gone down. She's been successful with it. That's awesome. Well, talk well she, about- has, she has great parents, too. Excuse me. I don't mean to cut you off, Jason. No, you're fine. Um, I mean, she has her parents were, were wonderful people. Um, and they produced look, look at her brother, Jason, mm-hmm. and what a great guy he is. So, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for good parenting. And I think um, I can't remember her mom and dad's name. Her mom was a flight attendant. Her dad was a director. And I think they played a big role in, in keeping her and Jason's heads very level and very uh, non-egotistical. Mm-hmm. But you're actually branching outside of the uh, movie and TV industry with Red Coral. Yes, yes. I mean, I got sick of uh, Hollywood back uh, around 04. You know, I went from acting to producing, had some success there. Um, my last production deal was at Madonna's company, which was a, a, a bastion of ineptitude um, and just got fed up with Hollywood and became an investment banker and worked for years in a lot of renewable energy, some in real estate. Um and having our own successes there and really didn't want anything more to do with Hollywood because it's just, there's a lot of, you know, look, there's a lot of good people. There's a lot of not good people. And there's a lot of people that are rewarded for being bad or rewarded for being lucky and being at the right place, right time. Um, I didn't have a desire to get back into the entertainment industry until I met the gentleman who's my partner, uh, Larry Meistrich. Larry started a company in the nineties, called Shooting Gallery. Um, their first big film was that, that broke out was Sling Blade. Um, you Can Count On Me was another Academy Award nominated film that they did. Larry's produced over 100, produced and or distributed over 144 films. Has been very successful in his own right. And he and I met, sniffed each other like a couple of dogs in the yard for about a year and a half um, because he had been fucked in business. I had been fucked. And it's unfortunate, you know, the, the more fuckings you get, the more trepidatious you are as to who you'll get into business with and who you walk down the road with. Just by nature, either that, you're an idiot, right? Um, and more and more grew to love the way that Dar- Larry did business, does business, his intelligence, his kindness. Um, and so we decided to become partners a couple of years ago and now we're launching our own OTT, uh, which will be called Red Coral Universe. And we're very, you know, uh, taking a lot of work. It's very hard. It's going to be very cool. We, we hope to be one of the friendly homes for independent filmmakers. You know, and independent films went from making it for a budget of anything from half a million to five million. And, or, you know, maybe a little more digging your way out, finding your own distribution. Uh, we are in partnership with AMC Theaters, which I really don't know what that means in today's economy. Um, theatrical exhibition was getting rather difficult prior to COVID because of streaming. And then with COVID, you know, it's eliminated, eliminated the theatrical experience. Um, that will come back, but in what shape or form, we don't know. Um, so that's when we thought, you know, what would be smart is to launch an OTT. An OTT means over the top. Um, I don't know if you guys, you're familiar with Netflix. Netflix mm-hmm. is an OTT. I don't know if you're familiar with Pluto. Uh, yes, yes. 
you know, and Pluto is, is sort of the quintessential OTT. Um, and OTT is available to folks through any modality of delivery with the exception of broadcast. Um, having four sons and seeing my sons watch content, you know, they, they each have a computer, they each have the flat screen, and they each have one of these. And inevitably, they are sitting there watching their content on this. And a lot of folks that are, you know, late teens to mid-20s, maybe even later on 20s, get their content from the phone. So with the addition of 5G and how powerful the signal is that we all receive from the satellite as opposed to, you know, from Wi-Fi, it seemed more and more like the way to go to deliver content would be that modality. With that, we want to be the home, not the home, but the friendly, the supportive of the independent filmmakers. You know, um, on one hand, Netflix was wonderful for independent filmmakers. On the other hand, it's a rather treacherous, slippery slope because Netflix controls about, I think, 25,000 titles mm -hmm. that they either own or license. And if you turn on your, you know, your, your app to watch Netflix, they're only going to show you 400 to 500 titles. Where the other 20 to 24,000 are, are somewhere in their databanks, but folks don't get to see it. Uh, when you had independent film that was either being released, you know, through a theater and then followed up with VHS or through a theater and followed up with DVD, um, a producer had to dig and fight and find a way to find their audience and the audience could go find the film. Now with the, monetarily, yes, it's nice to be able to say I sold it to Netflix or I sold it to Google or I sold it to Amazon. They kind of disappear. Uh, unless you really know about it, it's not going to be promoted. Um, and unless you've got an, an A-list or B-plus list actor or actress in it, it's not going to be, it's, it's not going to show up on your algorithm to see. So we have content that we own. We have other content we'll license. Uh, we're producing new content. Um, we won't relegate ourselves just to film. We'll do series. Uh, that folks can watch, you know, uh, uh, in succession in a strip and stream it and watch the whole 10 or 20 episodes in a sitting. Um, we're not going to stick to just a half hour, hour, two hour format. Um, we will have shows. Some shows will be 30 seconds. Some shows will be six minutes. Um, we'll be a home also for guys like you with podcasts. One of the channels we have will be just podcasts. Um, we'll have another channel that will be for uh, health and wellness and lifestyle. So we'll appeal to folks that hopefully that uh, love their their supplements, love their apothecary, love their uh, you know their their very healthful way of eating, healthful way of life, whether it's through meditation or tai chi or yoga. Um, we'll have another channel that'll be sports oriented. There's a couple of programs that we're doing with the NFL. Um, we have other shows that'll be for the, like the, the EDM uh, or anime audience uh, teaming up with some rather large names in, the, in, in that land, in that world. Um, and once again, creating a venue for those specific audiences. Another thing we're going to do different with the content makers 
if you've ever looked at a licensing contract or a distribution contract that producers or filmmakers or showmakers or content makers sign with the big boys, a lot of times they're getting the short end of the stick. With us, it's gonna be very simple. A dollar comes in, 50 cents will go to the content maker and 50 cents is gonna go back to the OTT. You know, so we, we hope to be a, a friendly, a, a warm, safe haven for folks that don't wanna do, as I call the spandex films. You know? And we can't we can't compete with the studios. It'd be ridiculous to try to. They do what they do very well. You know, they've licensed the mega properties with mega dollars and pour lots of money into it. And they're rolling the dice on you know two or three films a year um, that will hopefully pull in for them not tens of millions but hundreds of millions. That's not where we want to play. So that's very smart very smart on on your behalf uh, you know because i think that some people might have that dare i say ego to say well we could compete with these other these other streaming services and i don't i don't know i mean i just looked the other day peacock's got like 20 million which and they've only been around for uh what six months so yeah you know and i mean they're 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 a big heavy they're there's they're nbc but they're still building their audience and i i I say i think that that's a a smart um philosophy to have well you know you look at and look nothing against everybody's trying to row the boat up the stream yeah you know everybody's wrong against the current and i don't want to say oh these guys are bad or those guys are bad you guys have it we have it we don't we don't get our content through cable now we get it through apps Mm -hmm. and you look at the different content and and multitude of apps there's, there's very little new stuff Mm-hmm. There's a lot of old programs, old movies that are churned that you, you can see on Crackle or you can see on Tubi or you can see on uh, other services. Um, there's a lot of stories to be told. There's a lot of voices to be heard. And, and we want to be that that portal for, to allowing those filmmakers, those content makers to bring their voice to their audience. Mm-hmm. Cool. So yeah. any any ideas as to when when everything's going to be finalized yet? Because the last time we talked, you guys were still working on some things. Do you have an update on Red Coral? We believe that we'll be able to launch uh, end of March, beginning of April. You oh, know, the, the, the biggest challenge for us has been finding the right coders, um, going down the road. You know, it's like having a house built and never building a house and not really sure what is the cost of everything and what is the methodology and how does all this work? Well, we all, we, we all sort of know how a house looks and what it should be like. And, and we all know somebody we can call if, if we haven't done it firsthand, you know, we, we can call whomever, Bob or Betty and, and say, you know, how do, how do you do this or how do you do that? Or this is how the contractor is doing. Is this the right way? There's not a lot of coders. Um, that are good and it seems guys that are my age are out of the game they're too fucking old guys that are your guys age are usually too old and um who we've gone with now are some folks that are still students at at johns hopkins university um a couple of them have been offered jobs from big boy companies to come and code for them and they they really don't want to get caught up into that you know fortune 500 mindset uh, they want to still be able to to kind of dance to their own music, uh, follow their own beat. And things are going rather well with them. I think we've hit a nice rhythm. Uh, we've been able to hit, uh, here's our list of deliverables. Here's the dates we need them by. And these guys have been meeting it. Uh, they will be 
instituting some new elements of technology that will enable us to have a closer communication with our audience, that our audience will be able to speak with us. As you go and watch now, your ability to talk to whoever, Amazon, Google, um, Netflix, Pluto, at best is an email and it goes into some portal and you don't know who reads it. This will be real-time interface where the audience can can interact with our OTT. So, um, and, and not like, oh, we want to be different or have a leg up. These, these are things that these young, very intelligent, much smarter than me brains have come up with and that we want to take advantage of. What it'll do also, ours will be advertiser supported. Um, what we have found people that are your age, John, because you're, you're much younger than me and Jason. Um, <laughs> folks your age, folks my son's age, who are my sons are from 34 to, to 22, will sit through co uh, commercials. And we don't want to be another subscriber, another, you know, have our hand out and, you know, put the money in the turnstile before you can pass through. They will sit through commercials. So we want it to be advertiser supported. And how we will do pricing with advertisers is not done anywhere else in any other medium. And it's going to be pricing that is based on real time and who's watching, what the demographics are of that person watching in real time. Very exact. Not you fill out a survey or you find out a week later or weeks later. This is going to be in real time. Guys and gals have put up money to have the audience see their products are going to be able to get information from us as to who's watching it, where they're watching it, how long they watch for, and they, they can pull it up, sit there, we'll have data you know, being spit out as the show's happening. So uh, it's, it's, it's where I think the industry is going. Uh, it's where advertisers will know they're getting a very fair, very equitable shake and not, you know, Nielsen's been around for what, decades? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, literally, what, 60 years, 70 years? Yeah. Uh, and started literally with radio and they take a guess. Their, their pool of what they draw upon of the available audience and what they say to the rest of the world of this is how many people watch is a, is a fraction of a percentage of the actual available audience and the actual audience watching. Again, I'll go back to we'll be able to show real-time actual numbers, actual lengths. And that's what advertisers will pay for. Awesome. That's a nice compliment. Thank you, Mick, for checking out the uh, the broadcast there. Nick, you rock. We're going to give you a big hug and a kiss, <laughs> too, dude. Come here. Give me love. <laughs> hey, Scott, um, I wanted to ask real quick, because this was something we didn't get to uh, last time we talked. And, uh, you know, before we went live, you were complimenting us on some of our geek posters and whatnot. You have uh, been in a lot of animated superhero projects from Batman Beyond, Superman, Iron Man, The Phantom. When you took uh, one of those roles, did you feel added pressure knowing that, let's be honest, sometimes comic book fans can be a little bit extreme sometimes if you don't get something exactly right with that beloved character? Did you feel a lot of pressure or was it just another job? No, I didn't feel pressure, but also no, it was not another job. Okay. Um, I've, I've got a lot of friends. I'm, I'm not a comic book fanatic. Um, 
meeting, uh, what is his name? Mr. Fantastic Four, Mr. Reed uh, Richards. Who? Reed Richards is the no, character. No, not Reed Richards. Um, um, what's his name? He died recently. The, the great cartoonist that. Stan Lee. Stan Lee. You know, which Stan was basically, he was a geek. You know, he just wanted to date. <laughs> he wanted to be around young girls. That's what he wanted. <laughs> wanted to be with chicks. Um, there are friends that I have that are cartoonists that, that work in the animation world, uh, whether it be on the page or in, in motion. Um, they have a very particular idiosyncratic disposition and, and, and their belief in their stories and their characters is, is rather devout as, as most religious people are. So I have a, the utmost respect and, and fascination with that. So you want to try to be as much serving the writer and serving their vision as you can um, and think it's very, it's really complimented. It's pretty, you know, some folks will be insulted and say, oh my God, you can't believe they, you know, that they insulted the, whatever, the artist or the actor, you know, the guy who created the drawing of what you're just putting the voice to, that they did this way instead of that way. This person that, that is critiquing, they sit and they look at this every day and they ingest it every day. And this is their somewhat their solace. It's their comfort. They may have a, a shit job where they've got a shit boss that treats them like dirt and their way to, to feel free and to feel whatever it is that nurtured in sort of a, in, in a intellectual and an emotional sense is through these comics. So you want to give them what they think is best served. Um, look, there was a, that silly show that I did, Black Scorpion, as well, which was based on a comic book, but there are people to them that is, they're, they're so devout and they can, the fact that they can quote lines from shows that we did 20 years ago is rather flattering. So you want to try to get it right for those people, but it's not feeling, I, I never felt pressured because I've never felt pressured around anybody really. I, I just, I, I, I sort of like people, I like interfacing and I like saying too, you know, oh, if I got that wrong, why did I get it wrong? And how can I correct it next time? You know, um, and it's an honor. I mean, look at that. You mentioned Phantom 2040. Look at the people I got to work with. Mm -hmm. That's a cartoon that's based on like cartoon lore that was made. The original version was what in the 1930s, 1930s. 30s, yeah. I think 30s or 40s, you know, and you know, there's going to be another Phantom series yet again after the movie that was a big, you know, maybe um, sort of they swung and they miss. Um, but to want to be doing something that's based on such uh, such history, such lore, and then to work with the talent that I got the chance to work with, from Deborah Harry to Ron Perlman to uh, Leah Romini, Pam Alden, uh, who was Pam Segal at the time, um, Mark Hamill. And then there were there was voice talent. I, I know you, the normal audience member wouldn't know who they are, but folks like Kath Susie and Ron uh, Paulson or Rob Paulson, excuse me, mm -hmm. just stalwarts in that world of, of voice actors. So it's it's great. You're you're able to work with. It's like a baseball player getting to go play baseball with Hank Aaron or Babe Ruth. You know, uh, it's like an artist, a, a painter, being able to go and learn from Chagall or Monet. Uh, people of, of that stature, you know, the guys that did the um, the Batman series, 
that I've guested on a lot of times and, and the Superman, they, they loved those comics and they wanted to honor everything about it and honor their audience in a way. So that's, that's, that's pretty cool. It's cool stuff. I feel very lucky, very fortunate. You mentioned the Black Scorpion franchise. That was my next question. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about how you uh, landed the role uh, of, uh, if I remember correctly, is the oh shoot, uh, Laugh Lafferty was that the? Uh... See, was it was it Rafferty? Rafferty? Yeah, Steve Rafferty. Steve Rafferty. Rafferty. Okay, Rafferty. I thought it was Rafferty, not Lafferty. Rafferty. How'd you land no, that, that role? That I, literally, I was transitioning at that time from being an actor to being a producer. And at the time we were putting together the movie Deuces Wild, um, which came out through uh, uh, MGM distributed it. Um, turned out not not good at all. That was that was kind of there was a lot of a lot of a lot of lessons on that one, John. A lot of things we had learned. <laughs> but as putting that together, I still needed to make money to feed my kids to pay my mortgage, you know. And Roger Corman produced it. Um, Years prior, I had done the first movie I ever did for Roger Corman. I, I had a business manager that stole about a million dollars from me. And we literally went from one day going, honey, where do you want to go? Barbados, Bahamas, anything with a B, pick a B, we'll go there. To the next day going, we can't buy milk and bread. We're, 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 we're not sort of broke, we're broke. We're flat ass broke. And I needed a job desperately and called my agent and told her what I, and I'm like, just get me a job, whatever it is, get me a job. And doing a job for Roger Corman was really considered to be a step down, was considered to be something you don't want to do. And I was like, fuck it. I got to feed my family. I don't care. I, I will do it. And I went, it was not a good experience for me initially. Um, funny thing is the guy who was the DP on that was Janusz Kaminski. Janusz Kaminski, if you guys look up, he's Steven Spielberg's DP. Hmm. And the only reason he took the job as a DP is that he was able to train one of his protégés on the film. And so it turned out as a result, we had that, that, that magic duck sprinkled on the picture because of Janusz. Um, but anyway, doing the first film, I was like, I'll never do this again. I get Roger Corman. Rah, rah, rah. I went on to do four or five more films for Roger. Roger's a great guy, you know, he's, he's wonderful. He gave me uh, my first job as a director and Roger, you'd go in and say, I got an idea, can we do? He'd be, it's perfectly fine, Scott. You can do whatever you want, as long as it doesn't cost me money. And for producers who were in the land of, you know, ultra low budget, um, Roger always paid you what he said he was gonna pay you, paid you on time and treated you with respect. So I had done those four or five Roger Corman movies. Uh, the gentleman who actually created Black Scorpion, Craig Nevius, great guy, sweetheart of a guy. Uh, they were putting together the series and there was this, you know, the lead male. And I think Roger said, yes, I'll do it. And it was Roger's demand that I get to play, that I play that role. So they had call, called me, offered it to me. And since I couldn't get any more money, because we, we weren't paid a lot, um, and it shows, uh, he didn't spend a lot of money on the sets or things like that, but it had that wonderful, kind of like, you know, Batman and Robin in the 60s, that campiness. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I demanded that I wanted, I said, in, in my dressing room, I, I want a fax machine and I want a phone. 
Pay me what you're going to pay me, the little pens, but a fax machine to phone so I can keep producing Deuces Wild. And you know what? It was one of the best jobs I ever did. Family Ties, when I got on Family Ties, was wonderful because it was truly a family atmosphere. There was a lot of love, a lot of respect, a lot of caring for each other. Um, and there was a lot of jobs in between where wasn't nice, wasn't fun. It was just, you might as well have been working at a shoe factory. It was like going to do a uh, matlock, you know, with Andy Griffith. So, oh my God, Andy, a member of tea. I get to meet, you know, one of my childhood heroes. And he was such an, an angry, unpleasant person to work with. It was really a letdown. And there were other circumstances going into and meeting somebody who was a known actor that you get to work with. And the person's an asshole. And you think, oh God, this really sucks. But the great thing about Black Scorpion was um, we all were there because we wanted to be there. We weren't there because we were getting paid a shitload of money. And everybody from Michelle Lintel to uh, Shane to Steve to uh, uh, what, what was his name? The guy that played the mayor, Pine, uh, Chris Pine's dad, you know, um, and just other uh, the other characters, the other actors. We're just great folks to be around. Uh, guest stars were people, Soupy Sales. Come on, who gets to be on a show with Soupy Sales, you know? Uh, Marty Cove, who's had a resurgent in his career. Yeah. With yeah. Cobra, Cobra Kai. Cobra yeah. Kai. Um, and Marty's just a sweetheart of a guy. Lou Ferrigno. Um, Stoney Jackson. You know, I mean, these just week after week were just the, these great actors who had had wonderful aspects of their career had a little bit past their zenith but were just very talented and also very thankful to be there and we just we had fun every week we had fun and that that's you know, come on you put on clothes and, and you say other words and they pay you a bunch of money for it fun so um, we have a question from uh, mick he says did you meet rodman flinder while working with roger Rodman Flender. Rodman Flender. What what was Rodman's what was his uh his discipline? Was he uh, an actor, a set designer? Uh, he was an actor. If I met him, I don't remember him, and I don't mean to be insulting to Rodman. Uh, oh. I don't. I, I want to ask. Up. Let me hop on IMDb and look. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I want to ask you about Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman when you played Mattello. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. How was that set? That was actually, you know, the funny thing is, I had done a movie years prior with uh, Joan Severance and thought, you know, God, she's hot. I want to work with her. And two years later, I'm working with her, right? And we were shooting a scene one night. Uh, in LA in an office building out in front. And there was a guy who was playing like a, uh, the guys at Car Valet, right? This guy kept asking me questions about this and asking me questions about that and questions about this. And who was it? Lo and behold, it was Dean Kane. And he was a sweetheart of a guy. And then whatever, you know, two, three, four, five years later, I'm guesting on Dean's show. And Dean was just a sweetheart of a guy, a, a really nice guy. Um, the gal who played Lois, what was her name? Um, Terry Hatcher. Right, Terry, who had a, before going on the show, I was warned, be careful, she's got a big ego, she's not gonna be, 
she was a sweetheart, very pleasant, very nice. Um, the gal who was the female lead, the female guest lead, I can't remember her name, but I know she had won an Emmy. Uh, and she was wonderful to work with. So again, here, here you're playing sort of Hollywood lore, Hollywood history. And Superman, when was the first Superman? You know, the comic books from when? The 30s, the 40s? Yeah. You know, uh, obviously the series from years before, the other movies. And, and it was a great reincarnation of, of that concept of that that character. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Look at my hair was all dark. I was thinner. God, I was pretty. What the hell happened? <laughs> well, I, I want to ask about one final film, and that was uh, 1987's My Demon Lover. Um can you explain a little bit of the plot of this movie and give your... Uh... I don't know what the plot was, John. I don't know what the... What was the... <laughs> the plot was... It was a guy that was Pazatsky, Pazatsky'd, uh, some sort of curse. And whenever he became aroused, he turned into other things. Not just a horny devil, but a, a, a fat Buddha man, an old Jewish lady, a tiger, a monster. And... I did that movie after the first year of being on Family Ties. It was my break. My agent called up. He said, eh, you got an offer on a movie. And I don't know. You may want to do it, may not. It's a silly script. Um, I read the script. I found out how much money they were going to pay me. It was a lot of money, right? I said, sure, what the hell? Why not? I never should have done that movie. Never. <laughs> and yes, there's a, a nice cult audience, and there's some folks that are very polite, but the movie, and, and I don't know if you could say if it was me, if it was the marketing, if it was the basic story. You know, a lot of people put in a lot of hard work. The guys who were the special effects makeup artists on that busted their asses, did a phenomenal job. There we go. Look at that hair. Uh-huh. Um, and, again, we had fun. We had a lot of fun. My thinking going into it being my first year working in Hollywood, because I, you know, remember I grew up in New York, did theater in New York. Going into it, I thought, well, what the hell? In New York, you do plays, you try different characters. If, they, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't, you go on to the next play. I had no concept and no perception of how, what a roll of the dice it was. And I believe to the rest of the community, it was seen as arrogant on my part of thinking, oh, you guest started on a sitcom, you think you're hot shit now. Now you think you can be the lead in a movie. Um, and it, I'm not going to say failed miserably, but it didn't do as well as was wanted or hoped or anticipated when it came out. Mm -hmm. And then there were, there were thoughts of the title shouldn't have been my, something with demon in it alienated a lot of like Christian audience and people like that. So I had always wished that I had better advice at that time. Uh, my agent was a sweetheart. He was a great guy. Uh, I think you guys know I was, you know, the thing with the truck and all that. And the same agent stuck by me like family. And he could have said, you know what, your damaged goods, go find somebody else. But he stuck by me and supported me. He was the guy that, you know, when I moved from L.A. or from New York to L.A., I had auditions anywhere from five to 20 in a week. And he just kept pushing me up, putting me up, putting me up. And after 10 months, got family ties. It was because of his efforts and his desire to push me. 
but he never had a, a client that had a career take off the way mine had taken off. And there's a certain art in handling that at that time. I mean, I went from being unknown to within the first year getting about 5,000 to 7,000 letters a week of fan mail. Uh, that was rather significant at that time. And I wish that I had taken a small role in a film that was carried by somebody, you know, God, God love it if I could be a, a supporting character in a movie with somebody like Pacino or De Niro or, or somebody else who was the guy. Um, so the fact that it failed monetarily, uh, maybe it won aesthetically, but, but monetarily it failed. I think eventually they made their money back, uh, after 10, 20 years, but, um, it did not come off the way it did. So it, it had a definitive effect upon my career, uh, of where, okay, gotta be a little bit more careful. Think more what I'm doing, you know, it was, it was an interesting, interesting time, interesting lesson to learn. Well, you've had a fascinating career. I mean, you're, I watch a lot of sitcoms and I think you're one of the best characters that be added into a sitcom halfway through its run. Like, I think you did a phenomenal job on that show. Thank you, brother. Thank you very much. I mean, you know, the writers were great. They were, the writers were great. It was great material. Literally, as I say many a times, all you had to do is say the lines and get out of the way. You know, the Gary Goldberg, Michael Whitehorn, Alan Uger. Um, there was a host of other writers. There was probably another six to seven writers on the show, and they gave us great stuff to work with. Um, Family Ties was one of those unique shows that it didn't just go for laughs. It went for having somewhat of a of a morality and somewhat of having a an allegory that the audience could take and learn from. So I, I was very fortunate that way. Yes, I had to have a certain amount of talent to be able to pull it off, but I was put in a rather fortunate situation too. But thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, family ties yeah, is a show that people should check out nowadays because the way they discuss politics on that show is something that we could all learn from. Yeah. But, Instead uh, of whipping out the, uh, the the knives and wanting to chop somebody up because they have an opinion different than yours. Is, yeah. yeah. Really not the way to build unity, you know? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. at not. all. But, uh, yeah, John kept telling me, like, I kept telling him, I'm watching Family Ties. It's great. And he's like, wait till Nick shows up. And I'm like, they don't need anybody else. This show's great. And then when you came on, I'm like, all right, I don't even remember the show before you. <laughs> like, it's so good. <laughs> so uh, thank you for all of that. And um, if you don't mind sticking around for just a second, I'm going to go ahead and close us out. Uh, where can everybody find you online, Scott? Uh, you know, uh, I... I've yet to establish that social media presence in a way. I mean, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. Um, look for Red Coral, look for Red Coral. We will be out in March. Um, we will be, uh, I'm not gonna say large and loud, but we will certainly be there to be heard and to be seen. So I, I really appreciate you guys letting me come on and plug that. Oh, well, you're quite welcome. We appreciate having you back. Thank you guys, appreciate yeah. it. And everybody else out there, you guys have a safe evening and weekend. Have a great night.